Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Doug. He's a daddy, a granddaddy, a Texan. He's pro Second Amendment, a fellow podcaster. Doug, welcome. How are your relatives? You said all your husband's relatives or families down here? Yeah, my in-laws are in Houston. Have not seen them in a while, but they're fans of the show. Oh, well, that's cool. That's always better than that than, you know, why, are you, why is she doing this? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like, hey, do you guys know any gun advocates? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much standard issue for Texas. So <laughs> I think we all have firearms. You know, I grew up with them. So I, you know, I didn't think anything about it. We always just had respect for it. It was no different than a fishing pole because we grew up with those too. And I've actually been hurt worse with the fishing, <laughs> getting lures stuck in my back or so than I have a, than a firearm. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. So did you grow up fishing? My dad liked the outdoors. We, we had a boat. We went fishing, went some deep sea fishing. I mean, it wasn't like a lot of my friends that that was what they did every weekend. But this was sort of a special occasion. I get to go out with my dad. The one time I went deer hunting, I was like a late teen and he and his buddies were out. Uh, you know, they, they would get to have beer and alcohol at night you know, not when they were hunting, but it was like freezing cold and I always had to go out and start the fire. So I didn't like that job because I didn't get to have any of the benefits. I had all the work <laughs> with none of the benefits of the other stuff and didn't even see a deer the whole day. That sort of ruined my my deer hunting. And I'm not doing that. I was going to ask you, do you think you could actually use the gun if you had to? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I go to the range practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband went to this like security class the other night because there's been like a series of muggings in our neighborhood then he came home and asked me you know if somebody was to stop in front of you in traffic and I was with the kids and somebody pointed a gun in my direction what would I do would I unlock the door and comply or would I drive and then I was like let me ask my Facebook group that (laughs) yeah I think at that point you drive you just take off and you drive You've got the art of surprise because they they think that you'll capitulate for that. And by the time they actually can respond, they're not going to be, it's going to be off target because you're a moving target at that point. You're better off trying to do that than complying. At the end of the day, there's no guarantee that even you comply that that, um, it'll turn out well. But it's a situational type thing. You know, it's just like, I hope that never happens to you. I hope you never have to make that decision. But, you know, it's it's something to think about and plan for. I've always been somewhat of a, a planner in that looking for, Okay, where's the exit? <laughs> Get on a plane. I'm looking at the seats behind me. I'm looking for those, not because it would ever happen, but I don't want to have to spend time trying to calculate those things when I'm panicked, when I can do it when I'm, when I'm calm and just sort of be prepared for what's going on. Always be aware of what's going on. I, I never wear music when I run or ride because I always wanted to hear what was, what was around. Now on a treadmill or something where no one's going to sneak up on me, then I got to have some music or something because it's just boring or in trainer. But but in the other times I, I'd ride, you know, I'd, I'd deal with people and they would have that in. And I'm like, you can't, you can't hear cars coming. You can't hear anything else. And it also gave me a time to just sort of be there with nature and hear the sounds and, you know, hear my own feet. I, I could tell how I was running by how my feet sounded. Yeah. Was your dad into safety? 
Yeah, I mean, he was. He was a warehouse manager. I mean, he didn't have really a risky job. He owned a bar for a bit. He did some private eye work with a friend of his. So he's on stakeouts and it's kind of boring stuff. I went out after my father passed away. I was, you know, 8, 19, 20. And, and you know, for me, say, hey, we have some overnight like security guard stuff. Like at a Pepsi place, the, they had a gate went down or something. So they needed somebody there just to be security. And I did that a few times. I said, look, I, you know, I, I could tell from then I couldn't be a cop because I was, okay, I was ready. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was just always ready, exhausted, just I was stressed out the whole time. I just, I said, you know, that's not, that's not for me, but I can appreciate what they do. I can relate to that because I majored in sports medicine for the first two years of college. And then once I saw a pretty severe injury, I changed my major. Oh, is it sort of like the Dak Prescott thing where, you know, the Joe Theismann where you break the ankle on that? That's uh that's crazy when you see that. I mean, I've had enough jam fingers and stuff to know they, that they go weird ways, but yeah, I, I could see that. I'm not good with blood. I'm okay with mine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's other people that sort of wig me out a little bit. I, I've had to clean something off chair the other day because I somehow I'd cut my, the back of my ankle or my on something and it was just blood on it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, fine. I'm a mom of four, so I have seen my share. Yeah, well, you should be calm with your kids' blood. My oldest daughter used to call me when she had her first child with, I called them durability calls. She'd call me like like at least four or five times. Oh, she fell off the bed. She did this. She did that. You know, and I'd go down because she's bleeding and is she bones protruding? You know, go through all the questions. No. By the time she's had the sixth one, I have to call to make sure the sixth one's still alive because <laughs> she's she's she, as you know, as you increase each number, it's sort of like yeah, okay, I've seen it before. It's nothing to worry about. You know, you just sort of you that first child thing is is a bit scary, and then by the time you get a couple of them and you're bouncing, okay, fine, I, I know what it is, especially if they're boys. Yes, I have three boys and a girl. And I'm glad that you brought up your daughter because it sounds like you have a daddy's girl. I have two daughters. The oldest one has six kids. And she would just call me because her mother wasn't available on the phone. I mean, they talk to their mother all the time. But but I, you know, having two daughters, one is more like my son and that we watched NASCAR and we did sports and we have that. But she's still a girl, a girly girl. So I learned about fashion. I learned how to braid hair. I learned how to glue on sequins, dance. I, I, there was a lot of things that some people would lose their man card to do. <laughs> But it was, you know, I wanted to be close to my daughters and, and, you know, things that were important to them. My first job out of college, I was working, I was a copier technician and I was working at this, this guy opened up his own dealership his, and he'd worked for his dad at a, at another place. So his dad retired and came up and just started to support his son because he didn't want to be home with his, with his wife. They couldn't be home together that, that long. He just needed something to do. And he said, look, I've got a, a son and a daughter and sons are great you know, they're okay. But when they turn 18, they leave, you know, you never hear from them again. It's sort of the, but, but daughters will always remember your birthday. And so I remembered that, that quote is there's, there's sort of that top, you know, this sort of this call here is better call daddy. I'm sure that you have. So that same relationship with your dad, I love them to death. They've done what they, you know, they, they've both been very successful in their lives and doing what they do. You know, being a grandparent's a great thing. That's I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I think I saw recently that your daughter had gotten flooded and that you had to help her and her kids. Yes. Well, actually being close to Houston, your in-laws probably suffered some of the same thing. So the first time they live about 90 miles east of there in the Beaumont area. So if you mention that to them, they'll know where that's at. And Harvey came through and luckily they, it was minimal stuff at that point in time. It wasn't anything like a lot of the other people had, but school was closed. I mean, they, she lives in the town where I grew up. And that's where she started out. She eventually ended up back there. So they didn't have any real damage at that point in time. But the next one, Imelda came through two years later, and that did flood them. So that was last year. 
and they've been in it. Like they had some friends had temporary house. They rented them that, the, that they could live in. You know, it's, it's eight people. And this was a two, three bedroom house. I mean, it's very small, but it's better than, than a trailer, FEMA trailer. They'd been rebuilding some stuff that had some setbacks and in, in getting some of the stuff done. And a few weeks ago, I went over there and my goal was to get the three oldest kids, get the, get the house finished enough for the three oldest kids. They'd lost that rental house. My goal was to get them where they could get back in there. So I did some finishing work and I did some stuff like that, worked on the kitchen, worked on the bathroom and stuff. It was different because my, I grew up there. My, it's a little segue, but my best friend throughout school through life lives over there, still does. And his dad gave me my, some of my first jobs. I worked helping build the house that he was in and built my friend's sister's house and the store. That, I mean, so I, you know, I helped a lot of building when I was there, which saved me thousands and thousands of dollars over the years. And he had died a few days before I left to go on that trip, which actually worked out well because I was able to attend his funeral. And I thought it was somewhat fitting in that I was using the skills, many of the skills that he taught me to help get my daughters back in the house. And I was able to pay a respect to him and, and thank him for, for that. So, I mean, that was just one of those weird things in life that, that works out. And if, if you look for the, how they're connected, you know, you can find those things. And it gave me peace with life today. We don't spend enough time looking back and reflecting and connecting the dots. Wow. I love that connection that you made. I had plenty of time to sit and think about it as I'm sitting alone trying to do some construction. And I was like, what would Henry do? Henry was his name. You know, it was like, you, you just sort of think about how would he do that? Or what did he teach me to do? And, and it, was, it was sort of funny. I, even when I was adult, I was, you know, was 50 years old and he would call up and he'd still say, this is Brad's dad. <laughs> I said, Henry, how long have we known each other? You know, you just call me Doug. And it, or you say it's Henry. And it was, but he did that. And as I made that comment at the, at the service, several people out there went and they just sort of smiled and they said, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've heard that. So capturing people's little quirks that sort of warm your heart. And, and that's the time when you like to go back and reflect on the good things and, and the fun things and not dwell on things that could have been or whatever, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's wasted time. But I think time spent reflecting on the good things and the things that had a positive impact on your life are important because it keeps you grounded to those things. You don't forget where you came from. You, it's in a good way. It's not in that sort of, well, I'm this way because of X, Y, Z. Well, I can say I'm this way because X, Y, Z, but it's all good. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to blame anybody for anything. Another thing that you said on your podcast is that we all have something that we want to do. What do you want to do? Well, I want to get out of bed. Not everything hurt. I can't remember last, <laughs> last time I got out of bed and say, and something didn't hurt. That's just, you know, I, I've not been kind to my body doing Ironman and some other things on that. But as part of the best advice I ever have, getting old's not for sissies. I, I'm going through some chiropractic stuff and all that right now. But if I had to put sort of the statement on, on my, when I look back, is that, you know, it's a simple statement. I made the world a better place. And I, and I did that by helping people find their voice. You know, the storytelling thing, I've been doing it all my life. A lot of time it was unintentional. It was just something that I, I fell back on. I always liked reading, always liked stories. I liked, you know, the Hardy Boys or I liked, you know, some different things like that. There was a, there was a, a story attached to it. As I got into my career as technical sales, I was, you know, technology, not everybody gets it. And it's, especially now with, with the speed and pace of change is the, and the people that are buying the technology aren't necessarily technical. They're, you know, there's a time where everything stayed in IT and you had technical nerds talking to nerds and 
you know, there was the own language. You, you had to do that. And then they had to go talk to the CFO to say, I need this. And the CFO was scared to say no, because, you know, the, the servers needed to be running. But now you've got marketing people. Everybody's got their own budget and they, they're making buying decisions and, and they don't necessarily understand technology. They just want their problem solved. As I talk to them, I use stories to help them understand and, and see how it and connect the dots to where it can, they can see it that can solve their problems or it can enable them to do things. The, the technical, the ones and zeros and the silicon and stuff sort of fades into the background. It just works. You know, then we start working on, okay, here, here are the things we need to put together, which they really don't care at that point in time. Again, they want the problem solved. Help those people find that voice so they can be as successful as possible in their career and really change the world. You know, is, is Dan Pink, I'm a big fan of Dan Pink, and he talks about to, to sell as human. I, I love that book because he talks about nine out of 10 jobs involve sales. They may not have a quota, but they're involved. sales. you look at a podcast host, you're trying to sell the value of the stories that you can tell of, of your guests, of yourself to sort of fill a need. And I, and I think that's actually makes us better podcast hosts. If we're always looking for that story. How'd you get into tech? I was just curious. My dad, I think, started me off on that. He was wiring CB radios and different things into the cars, and he, he would, you know, let me watch and help. And one time we had a car fire because he had so many things going in there. One of the wires shorted out, and it left my mother and I stranded on the side of the road. My father died when I was a senior in high school. I was one of those students where it, a lot of it came easy, and I didn't really push myself. Go to college? I didn't have a plan for that. So my father died. I didn't have really good guidance counselors. You know, I knew where the guidance counselor office was. That was the way when I passed it going to my locker, but I never went in to, to actually talk to them about things. Were you into sci-fi as a kid? I love Star Trek. I love the original ones. I remember watching that with my dad. Those were always great, great shows. I love Tom Clancy novels. I like sort of the spy and the technology. I'm I'm nerd. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'm curious. And, and I think if there wouldn't have been technology, if technology wouldn't have been invented, I'd been curious about building things or, you know, just mechanical things. Where did the inner bully come in? I wanted to do a TED Talk. You know, I want to really sort of grow the public speaking business. You know, if you're going to do that, I figure, you know, TED Talk is sort of like, well, you've got some qualifications, right? It's not a certification, but, but you're good enough that, that you can meet that standard and, you know, at least open some doors. As I'm thinking about it, so I applied for it and there was a whole bunch of sales and I've told that story before about how I, how I got in there stalking the people in a friendly way. I said, okay, yeah, we want you to apply for the TED talk. And I'm like, oh good. What am I going to write about? <laughs> and then I had that imposter syndrome sort of kick in and I'm like, okay, well, you apply, well, you're not good enough to do this because as you watch more of them, you start comparing yourself. And as I struggled through that, as the deadline got closer, I was, and I still didn't really have a great topic, I'm like, I can't be the only one that suffers through this. So I did some research on brain science and other things like that. And like, yeah, yeah, this is it. And this is the, the inner bullies. I, I suffer that. I know who it is. I had somebody suggest that I give it a name. And it was a self, little bit self-discovery put in, putting myself in a, hey, hey, this sounds like a good idea. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. So you may get it. But it, but it did help me identify that, which now helps me as I, as I go forward and I talk to other people, help them identify their inner bully, you know, just give it a name and realizing that we have the power to create our own lives. You know, why not me should be the, the first thing we start with rather than I'm not good enough. The subconscious is there to protect us. At some point in time, we all have that, that inner bullying and how we talk to it. It never goes away. You, you can quiet it. You can learn to identify it and go around it, but I've never found Anybody that I've talked to yet, 
I, I imagine you talked to Tony Robbins. And he's probably still sees that inner bully come up on occasion. So you named your inner bully Simon. In case you can't tell, I like to laugh. And I thought, okay, who's the most obnoxious person I know? So Simon off of America's Got Talent or American Idol or whatever, where he's just obnoxious. He just comes in and, you know, he's, he, he can be very British about things and he's just very obnoxious about things. And he, he would tell you, you stink. Why are you here? And, and if you give things a name, it's easier to identify it. Then you have something that you can aim at. Do you say hi to him when he sneaks in? I was talking to somebody the other day. They said they put him in a timeout. <laughs> they put theirs in a timeout. And there's times I find myself talking to that. Sometimes it's the quiet. It's the inside voice I hear it. Other times it's, if it gets really bad, I guess I, I would have to do it out loud. But yeah, we, we have discussions. It's funny because I try to recognize when that evil inclination is coming in. And I think maybe I need to name that. It'll sneak in. And the way it hits me is... There, there's a feeling, but there's also things are not starting to work, you know, normally as they should. There, there's something that's not quite right. And that's where I look in the door and see if he's, he's trying to trip me or do something else. And I usually he's peeking around the corner. You know, he doesn't make an announcement. He usually sneaks in when I'm not paying attention. It's sort of like your children. They run around, you know, how'd you get over there? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, they have that ability. It's just pausing, you know, not getting so wrapped up in because it's easy to get sort of in that downward spiral of I stink and you have to sit, be able to sit back. And that's why I do meditation every day is it helps me sort of, hey, I got sort of this weird mood today. What's going on? And, and I try to sort of uncover if he's trying to sneak out of the basement again. I know too that in your TED Talk, you talked about positive self-talk and visualization. Are you still practicing that? When I shut Simon up, I do, but because... <laughs> Because he's doing the other thing. You have to do that. They have the whole theory of manifestation and stuff on that, which I call it an awareness. And you're, you're training your mind to look for opportunities to succeed, as opposed to if you've got the negative self-talk, you're finding the opportunities to fail. It's an awareness type thing. It's sort of like looking for the exit and stuff. So if I'm saying, yeah, I can deliver this talk and it helps give me motivation to put in the work to accomplish that. I'll never be an NBA star, so I know there's limits to what positive self-talk will do. But if it's something like I, I've done two Ironman triathlons and I had to put in my mind that, yeah, I will do this. And Simon, Simon was with me for like 16 hours of the first one. I finished in 16 hours and 20 minutes. So I had 20 minutes of respite from Simon during the whole race. It's very, it's very sneaky. It's something I, I try to do. And it's an affirmation. You know, start off the day with an affirmation. I, I am enough or something else, you know, that you can write. And that's a good way to sort of kick it off. It's not a replacement for putting in the work, but it, it also keeps you going in that direction when you don't want to put in the work. Hey, you know, we can do this, but, you know, we've we got to put in the work. When did you start needing to hear I am enough? You could go back to youth and I can pick out different times again, sort of connecting the bot dots in the back. I look at times when I was successful and stuff. I had that voice that went on, you know, that, that was in there. And the times where I've struggled and stuff, if I think about it, I had Simon was winning the argument of those things. You know, the quote from Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Very simple. It wasn't an aha moment, but it was a reflection on, yeah, okay, there's some validity to this. This, this does make sense because it helped me through these other things that went on, you know, getting elected. To, you know, one of the things was I didn't think I was very popular in school, but I was, got elected as a band lieutenant. That was sort of like, you know, one of the leaders of, of that. And I was like second place for most comical in class. I'm like, when did this happen? Do you feel comfortable talking about what it was like when your dad passed? Sure. So we were close. He died of lung cancer. 
he had it pretty much throughout into my junior year and into the senior year. We had discussions that he said he was, you know, he said he was going to, he's going to pass. He's got, you know, it's, it's stage four. The outlook's not good. Be my job, be the man of the house. You know, at 17, you're like, wow, this is okay. But it's one of those things where I didn't really have a choice. I could enjoy the time I spent with him. It was an adjustment. And then I knew I had to grow up faster than most. You know, I had a good relationship with my mother. So that, that wasn't a problem. Again, I had a good relationship with my dad. And, and I remember I was sitting at lunch one day at school with my friends and I saw the pastor of the church come in and I knew what had happened. He came up and, and said, you know, he said your dad passed away in the hospital. He'd been sick really. I hadn't seen him for the last, and this is probably the one regret I have is I didn't see him for the last two weeks that he was alive, but it wasn't him. And it's not, I don't think it's a coping mechanism, but he was six foot, 200 pounds when he was, when he was alive. And when he passed, he was less than 98 pounds and he was on pure morphine and just, you know, he, he had just sort of wasted. He wasn't really coherent. So I don't really think, you know, that wasn't my dad. That wasn't the way I wanted to remember my dad. So I got home. I didn't cry until my mother got home. Then, then, you know, the dam broke. It did bring on that we're all human. At some point in time, we are going to go. I've had a head coach sort of tell me you need to have these, like these virtual mentors and they can be alive or dead. You know, they could be Abraham Lincoln. They could be something else that you sort of reflect back on their character in their life and ask them what they would do. In this case, I, I know my dad, I knew my dad very well. And then I would get that guidance and I would, you know, it would work. I mean, it was fine. The regret is that he never got to see my wife and my daughters and, and, and my grandkids. I think they would have, he would have really loved them. He was great with, with that. You know, I couldn't change anything. So sitting back trying to hang on to that, would do nobody any good. You process it and you, and you go and, and you think about times and, and you look up and you'll say, what do you think about that, dad? It's made me who I am. All these things in life make you who you are. That's so positive. I want to be more like that. <laughs> I wish I had a magic pill for you to get that inner bully to shut up. And I think that's part of the thing is the inner bully makes you hang on to that. You're this way because of this, or you, it's not fair. I, I think when you can have that discussion, put your inner bully in a timeout, I don't think you'll learn to be more like that. Tell me some of the good things you remember about your dad. Oh, he was a prankster. He always, and I think I picked some of that stuff up from that. I remember the one time he went over some of our neighbors back in Louisiana and it was a birthday. It was real early. He put a whole big string of firecrackers on their birthday, you know, this guy's birthday at 4 a.m. in the morning. He liked to drink some beer and stuff with his friends. I mean, it was, it was not even an alcoholic, but he liked to have a, he and a friend of his got drunk on one Christmas Eve and, and uh, bought a dachshund puppy. And I had an electric race set. So these were one of those track race cars. And they burned up on the cars because they were playing with it all night. <laughs> Got me another car. There's a couple episodes at the, when he, where he worked at the warehouse, some people told me about later. Yeah, they had sort of a trailer inside the warehouse that was where the offices were. And he had chewed one of the guys out, one of his, one of his foremen out pretty, pretty good over something. The foreman left the office and was talking to another one of the, his coworkers and says, you know, you know, he just chewed him out for these or whatever. And my dad comes out, out the door, looking around, looking, looking outside. And he says, oh, it's you. I, I thought my coffee pot had taught the air conditioner how to talk. <laughs> it just goes. So you can totally diffuse the situation in something like that. I mean, it could have been easy. You know, they both laughed about that. It was one of their favorite stories. Wow. I cannot imagine losing my dad that young. That really does make you grow up quick. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love how you remember him, though. He used to call me a mullet, or he used to call people a mullet, which is with fish, just not a hairstyle necessarily, all in a good way. You know, just the way he would be patient with me when I was trying to learn new things, you know, 
be it sports or what have you. Maybe just talk to me like an adult. Like I said, when he, when he told me that, you know, I got to clean up the parking lot of his bar. I got to go in and play foosball. I was like the foosball champion of that. He, he took me around. He was very proud of me. He didn't hide me. We had boundaries. His, he knew his job was like a hockey goalie to keep me in play. I needed that. As a kid, we needed to know that those boundaries were there, that we would be kept safe. It was our job to push him, but he would always keep me safe. And, you know, as you get to be older, you, the, the best thing, and your dad will probably tell you this as well, and your mom, is that the best reward that I get is watching my children take one of the better parenting skills that I had at the time and use it. Not, you know, there were plenty of trial and error, especially on the first, my oldest daughter calls herself the practice kid. You know, I mean, there's no instruction book for parenting. It's we do the best that we have with what we learned. Tell me about your podcast tech story. Thank you for asking. So it is about trying to marry. I'm about to end up in the first season and I, I did the first one trying to figure out the mechanics of a podcast. I interviewed some really great storytellers and people with that. I didn't get as into as much technology sort of origin and stuff as I'd originally intended, but I was, I was sort of really digging the, the storytelling vibe that went in, you know, what, what goes into the story? What made you think about that? In this next season, it's going to be a little bit more about, okay, here's this technology type thing. And here's, here's the story behind it. I want to get back to where people can learn and pick up the tools and the art of storytelling. I think in stories. So as I look at things, I'm like, this would make a good story. I love that. I actually have a founder for you. All right. Excellent. I, I'm always looking for those things. They are the best storytellers. And what's the best way that people can connect with you? Most active on LinkedIn. I actually just started a live, a cyber live. We call it on Tuesdays. We do a little bit with uh, Ron, Ron Craig. I'm on Instagram. I'm the Doug Thompson on Instagram, Twitter. I've got a Facebook page for Tech Story Podcast. TechStoryPodcast.com is a website for that. Well, I am looking forward to season two, the right. Doug Thompson. All right. Well, thanks for having me on and uh, go tell your dad hi. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you want to ask my daddy something? I just, how did he get such a wonderful daughter? I'll butter up the host on that. So <laughs> He'll love that. Grandpa, what did you think? Oh, this was a beautiful interview with Doug. I think that, again, he was able to give you some of his background. And this, again, shows that people that encourage you and show you how to build things Henry was able to give him all kinds of skills where he could rebuild homes. He's hands-on, the fishing trips, the hunting trips, the attention from his father. All of these play a role in your journey through life. Having hands-on knowledge and being able to have encouragement to do things for yourself, it's okay, as my Uncle Isaac used to say, it's okay to go fishing with me. And I'll drive the boat. I'll help bait your uh, fishing hook and, and take you fishing. But the next time you go, I expect you to be able to do your own fishing, be able to learn how to drive the boat, learn how to clean the fish, learn how to cook the fish, where he wants you to be able to everything that he's going to do for you. He wants you to also learn how to do for yourself. And unfortunately, his father, while he was still in high school, was it the fourth stage cancer, lung cancer, who was not able to recover. And you have to grow up very fast when uh, you have the adversity of where you're now going to have to, you're going to have to run the show. You're going to have to be the example for the family. He's able to take the lessons that he's been taught. He's been able to search out and do stuff.
studying of different subjects that interest him and where he's not afraid to give other people their due, where if other people have knowledge that he's been able to learn from other people and from other sources. And the funny part is, is that all of this background leads him to also wanting to help others, communicate with others, and have other people find what they're going to be good at and what they want to ascertain in their lives and help them find their way. And uh, I think that's, that's just wonderful that he's building a following and being able to share his experiences of development and hope that other people can also develop. And by doing that, I agree with him. That's what creates a better world for all of us. It's crazy how long he's been at Microsoft. Well, the funny part of it is, is that to have something steady in your life that's consistent is a very good thing, as well as where look how he's pivoted and is looking and searching out to be creative in other ways as well. As you know, your father has been trying to do the same thing. He's been very active in learning different things. And he, he mentioned that he also played sports and played music. I did the same thing where I was involved in a lot of extra activities all through my career in high school and college where I just didn't study courses. I worked and had different jobs and I uh, worked uh, hands-on in the business, as you know, since I'm 15 years old. Even had my own paper out for a month that I worked for Richard Manchester. I did his paper out for a full month where he got the money because I couldn't take it over until I was 12. But I've been working and all different areas and all different fields and learning everything hands-on. And as you know, my father's approach is that if you want to be a leader in anything, you don't just tell people what to do, as I've mentioned before. You have to be able to show people and listen to people and to be able to help them an assignment or a task because you know the job as well, if not better than them. And when you are able to lead by example, that has a lot more effect than telling somebody what to do. 100%. Right. Don't do what I say, do what I do is a much stronger example. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.